Good afternoon. And good afternoon to everybody. This is JD Confidential and Professor Murder's Eating a Sandwich, and we I, are I, the uh, Black Person Poetry Podcast. No. Um, so, yeah, it's afternoon because, you know, it's lunchtime. Um, Indeed. It's been a long time uh, since we've been able to podcast together again because my schedule is shit. Um, but the uh, the rampaging pox has made it so that everyone being trapped at home does allow for easier recording. It, it sure does. Uh, let me tell you, you know, I I am still working from home technically, but uh, I took today off because mm. I have a friend who passed yesterday from uh, the COVID. And um, he was a good friend. He was a nurse in a nursing home. Um, and he was the sort of guy who picked up extra shifts so that other people could rest. And apparently he contracted it and passed. And I'm going to say he probably contracted it within the last week because uh, up till about a week ago, he was still posting things on Facebook and gen generally being himself. And then suddenly he disappeared, which, you know, I figured he was just working a lot. And uh, yesterday his sister told us he died. So, um, you know, for, for those of you out there who um, are still doubting that this is a thing or think that it's overinflated or that the numbers are somehow inflated or that, uh, you know, somebody's lying or it's a hoax, it's not a fucking hoax. It's not a hoax. People are dying. Real human beings are dying. So get your head out of your ass. And I'll go into that more later, I think. But, um, I'm sure get your head out of your ass will be a recurring theme for today. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, depending on how many more episodes we do while we're locked down, um, that may be a recurring theme uh, going forward because that seems to be a problem for people. They've all got their heads up their asses. Um, you know, about uh, 20 years ago when 9-11 hit, the, uh, the parody paper, The Onion, had a special edition called Holing Fucking Shit was the name of the, the edition. Um, that was the banner on the top of it. So this is my take on holy fucking shit. Here's, we, here's where we are. Um, this is not a drill. So... Um, I don't know, Professor, if you have anything to say. I know your experience has been a little different than mine being in lockdown. Um, nobody in my household has contracted it yet. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into a lot of details, but, uh, um, you know, I, I have been in proximity uh, with someone who, while not getting a positive test for it, uh, was symptomatic uh, and... Thankfully, did not get so bad as to require uh, hospitalization. It was a uh, care at home kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And it kind of ran the course for, honestly, what probably is the, like, I still stand by the numbers that have been kind of given as to the, the four out of five people will get either so slight a case that they can't really observe that they have something and or 
have a case that is like kind of having a significant flu, um, but it is treatable at home. And only one in five are going to require some degree of hospitalization. And I think that it's only about maybe 5% who end up needing uh, like a significant medical intervention to try and save their lives. Um, but I think that the other and the other thing that's worth stating is that people can have any degree of infection, including that 80% who just end up just staying at home. But we are seeing that the fatality can come out of nowhere. Not that the fatality rate is, you know, uh, I made a statement online today, uh, you know, the one good the one good thing about all this is maybe this will finally put an end to zombie fetishization that we've kind mm -hmm. of gone through where everyone's like, oh, when the zombie apocalypse comes, be like, when the zombie apocalypse comes, uh, most of us are going to be uh, doing what we're doing now, which is terrified that we'll get it, not uh, sharpening our buzzsaws and shite like that. So, mm -hmm. um, but anyway, back to my, my point. I mean, I think that they're showing that the... Uh, when we have the ability to medically intervene, that the death rate is pretty low. I think it's like 2% or something like that. It's, But you're still talking about because it's so infectious, even with a death rate, which, oh, you're like, only 2% of people die. That's not that big of a deal. But like, right, but we're talking about that hundreds of thousands of people get, are getting infected. So millions right. of people are getting infected. So tens of thousands of people die like I, what's the number at right now for the states like we're currently 50, at the height today 50,000 50, deaths and we have the highest number of infections not the highest rate and again that's where uh talking about how the order of the day from the administration has been not uh see america through but instead it's cya um and just massage the numbers to make it look like as uh, successful for oneself instead of doing as much to actually affect those fucking numbers. Um, I guess my point is, it's only because so many people have proven the zombie apocalypse model wrong by not descending into barbarism and instead taking massive economic hits for individual households uh, to stay home as much as possible, to not go into work, to not engage in uh, group social activities, to try and flatten the curve so that, uh, and even with doing that, um, medical facilities are completely overwhelmed and super stressed at the minute. Um, but it could be a lot worse. I mean, you can look at a lot of other countries right now who are not able to uh, call upon these reserves economically to just like not work for a month, mm -hmm. you know, or longer. And they're going to have like, th this is going to be a, you know, it's wild um, for us, uh, me and, and you JD, it's uh, 9-11 is kind of this, jo this generationally defining event. You know what I mean? Like where, like the only thing that it's funny, like the only thing that was comparable to that prior to it in my life of like 
and then a massive public event happened was either going to be something like uh, the Berlin Wall, Wall coming down slash the end of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, Tiananmen Square, I remember being a big deal. Yeah. Uh, although, honestly, that kind of has faded into the background for a lot of people. Uh, but also, uh, when I was very young, the the Challenger disaster. Yeah. Um, watching that while in school. Uh, yep. Delightfully traumatizing. Um, but you then have 9-11 and... I've definitely talked about my wife, how this feels a lot like 9-11, but if 9-11 was stretched out over a long period of time, you have this constant feeling of dread, uh, of uncertainty. I mean, my household, we're doing our best to stay as safe as we can, but even then, we're only doing half measures, uh, quarter measures, like best measures of staying home, wearing face covering when going out, you know, that kind of thing. Uh and still something could go wrong, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know. Um, it... So my spouse is at work every mm. day where he has to wear a face covering. Um, and I know that's probably the standard for everybody who's working currently in mm. New Jersey anyway. Um, and probably in some other states as well that have been harder hit. But I don't know that it's the standard everywhere in the United States. It should be. Um. But, uh, you know, it, it's entirely possible because the mask that they're giving these folks is not something that's going to prevent them from inhaling it. It's something that's going to yeah. prevent them from exhaling it on somebody else that he yeah. could get it at work and come home with it. And then we're all infected. Yeah, right? like the the. I saw a really good picture of it that was kind of explaining it. They're like, look, if if two parties are both wearing masks and they're staying six feet apart, the odds of transmission are very low. Right. And that's as good as you're going to get it if you're going to have to interact with people. The only thing better is not interacting with people. Right. Which, if you can, great. Yeah. And if you're in an essential industry, <laughs> then yeah. you're screwed. So, <laughs> so um, but the other thing that's funny, like, we're making comparisons to 9-11, but the, the real comparison, of course, that a lot of uh, people are making is the AIDS crisis, uh, especially when talking about the handling of it. Mm-hmm. And I have totally admit to that I don't have that perspective purely out of a sense of of privilege, but also combined with age. Because obviously the, the real hammer of the AIDS crisis is from the 90s into about the early 2000s, right? And things yeah. started to get a better handle on themselves by the mid-2000s, if I'm remembering things correctly. But, you know, like, or if we're talking about 2005, you know, I was 30 at that point. Mm-hmm. But, like, if we're talking, like, the real height of the AIDS crisis being kind of in the mid to late 90s, you know, I was in high school, and I have to think that definitely for, um, for gay men a little bit older than me it are the people who have the most vivid memories of that of that time through the 80s into the 90s of um the height of reagan's in charge he doesn't give a shit that it's killing the shit out of gay people mm-hmm. and that constant feeling of dread of am i going to get it have i been with someone who had it and they didn't know you know that kind of thing yeah um, 
And that's the only thing that's really comparable. And maybe that's kind of the, and I definitely have seen in a lot of online spaces, uh, plenty of, uh, you know, gay and, uh, and the like creators kind of saying, this is kind of the wake up for straight people of what we all went through during that crisis of the government either being indifferent, incompetent, or willfully hoping that it killed as many people as possible within uh, the community. Um, now, I don't, I don't know if we got like that people are just hoping that people die, but when you've, when you've got um, this level of blistering incompetence, it's kind of hard to not see it as malicious on some level. Yeah. And that's part of the problem with American politics in general. Um, and probably politics everywhere, but particularly our brand of politics where it's two parties. So instead of coming together as um, a nation, instead of saying, you know, we're we're all in this together and meaning it, mm. it's, well, this state didn't go my way in the election, so I'm not going to help them as much yeah. or at all. Or I'm going to steal the stuff that they've ordered and make sure they don't get it. Yeah. And now the Which, people in their state are at a disadvantage. It's it's disgusting that people think that way. Um that they think it's okay somehow to do that. And that people are still supporting that attitude. Yeah. I you mean, know. uh it's rough. Like You're just kind of waiting for the day when we get good news, you know? Yeah. It just seems like as as hard as the last three years have been under this administration for my, for myself, for people that I care about. I mean, it's I'll be honest. When I say it's hard for me, I mostly mean emotionally mm-hmm. and to a degree economically, but mostly emotionally. Um I am not of any group that has seen their rights uh, threatened or curtailed in a significant way. Plenty of people I care about have, uh, including family, but I'm a white straight guy. I'll be okay. You know, mm-hmm. no one's no one's going to take away any of the big fundamental rights that I've got. I Like I said, I am seeing economic harm um, under this administration, but that's it. And that's not... That doesn't matter. It does. But I'm not worried that my marriage is going to be invalidated. I'm not worried that I'm going to be kicked out of this country. Um, I'm not uh, worried that uh, violence directed at me because of who I am is going to increase and be prosecuted less because of who's in charge. But I have a lot of people I care about who those are legit concerns. And that does hurt me emotionally. So... After this three-year emotional roller coaster with, you know, uh, this administration, and I'm controlling my language as best I can, um, <laughs> rhymes with bunt. Anyway, um, <laughs> but but um, as hard as I'm trying, the last two months have been possibly the most emotionally trying of my life wherein that the only thing that comes as close is 9-11 in terms of 
just always a feeling of dread and being under threat and that there's never going to be good news again. And I... But anyway, poetry. Yeah. Um, So, obviously, plague, which I'm going to call this a plague because, you know, you kill this many people, it's a fucking plague. Um, Plague (coughs) has existed in various forms throughout the entirety of, you know, animals or humans living on Earth. Sure. So, you know, at some point in recorded history... People started writing about it. Um, And, you know, there's plague poetry. That's a thing. So um, we're going to go through some of that. Um, There there was an article posted to this site uh, called Mm interestingliterature.com. I will link to it in the, the show notes about you know, this episode, and I'm not gonna, we're not gonna read all the poems that are in here, because some of them are brand spanking new from the last couple of months, and I don't, I know we're not gonna go discussing meter and, and such in depth with these right now, um, and I don't want to run afoul of anybody's copyright, um, but there are several authors who are in here who've written about, uh, coronavirus and recent plague, uh, and, um, you know, they're listed in this article and I would say you should take a look at their stuff because it's not only relevant, but also a very interesting read. Um, but, uh, you know, I figured, um, we could read some of this. I wrote one myself yesterday in the midst of trying to, um, calm down from finding out that my friend dropped dead. Um, and seeing some of the possibly the worst uh, things I think I have ever seen um, come out of the press briefings since this started. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just just when you think uh, just when you think things have hit the bottom you have to remember there's no bottom. There is no bottom. It's a bottomless pit filled with bleach and UV rays and Tide Pods. Um, so um, that having been said, I don't know, uh, Professor, do you want me to, to start or do yeah. you want to do one? No, you can go ahead. Okay. So, you know, the, the article goes, it starts with Roman times. I'm not going to read the one by Lucretius. Um but, you know, you can take a look at that. It's a plague that occurred when, uh, basically during the first century BC. So before uh, Rome was really a full empire, there was this poem. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with um, two poets who are from the Shakespearean era uh, who were writing about the plague in London. Um, the first one is Thomas Nash, and the name of the poem is A Litany in Time of Plague. Uh, Adieu, farewell, earth's bliss, this world uncertain is. Fonder life's lustful joys, death proves them all but toys. 
None from his darts can fly. I am sick. I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. Rich men trust not in wealth. Gold cannot buy you health. Physic himself must fade. All things to end are made. The plague full swift goes by. I am sick. I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. Beauty is but a flower, which wrinkles will devour. Brightness falls from the air. Queens have died young and fair. Dust hath closed Helen's eye. I am sick. I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. Strength stoops unto the grave. Worms feed on Hector brave. Swords may not fight with fate. Earth still holds open her gate. Come, come, the bells do cry. I am sick. I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. Wit with his wantonness tasteth death's bitterness. Hell's executioner hath no ears for to hear. What vain art can reply? I am sick. I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. Haste, therefore, each degree to welcome destiny. Heaven is our heritage. Earth but a player's stage. Mount we unto the sky. I am sick. I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. So again, that one was Thomas Nash. Um, he was a contemporary of William Shakespeare. Um, and this was, he wrote this about um, what he experienced uh, during a plague that went through London and closed down all the theaters mm. um, in the 1590s. So probably experiencing a similar issue to what we were experiencing now with, um, you know, things being in lockdown mode. Yeah. So, um, minor observations. Yes. Number one, the Catholic in me wanted to also respond with, uh, Christ have mercy on us <laughs> at the end of, at the end of each stanza. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, two, and this is maybe something I always find amusing. And I know it's a bit nitpicky is horrifically forced rhymes that mm -hmm. would have forced you to mispronounce the shit out of a word in order to make it work. So, uh, the last two stanzas actually are the, so it's hell's executioner hath no, hath no ears for to hear. So you either have to pronounce it hell's executioner. Yes. Or, uh, have no ears, but to her, uh, those are your, those are your choices there. Uh, and then the last stanza, heaven is our heritage, earth is but a player's stage. Uh, so you either have to pronounce it uh, heritage or uh, uh, all the earth uh, is but a player's studge. So uh, take your pick. Yeah. I mean, these are, you know, Renaissance era Londoners. I don't know what the accent <laughs> sounded like. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. It could just, uh, so maybe they were all... Uh, all about uh, falling under the blade of the executioner uh, mm -hmm. uh, and heritage uh, was important to them in maintaining. You never know, but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that was. I it just it I always find it amusing because it's like so did they just like like people don't say poems out loud as long as it would rhyme in writing. <laughs> It's fine, you know. It's fine. It doesn't have to rhyme. Yeah. You know. So, um, 
But I mean, that's, I mean, for me, that's always something I find amusing because if you accept the rhyme scheme, make it work, you know, like, or don't rhyme, like one or the other, you know, like in or out. Um, you could even have something where, because these are, um, uh, so it's A, A, B, B, uh, uh, C, C, D is, right. the, is the rhyme scheme. So, but they could have gone A, A, like the first two lines rhyme, and then lines two and three don't rhyme, then uh, rhyme, lines uh, five, uh, Sorry, three and four don't line, rhyme, and then five and six could rhyme, and then seven doesn't rhyme. And that would be fine. But the fact that you have these two stanzas um, where uh, the third and the fourth line do not work. Uh, and it's not even... I don't even know if it's a matter of meter. Like, I didn't bother counting the syllables or anything like that. So, I don't know. Yeah. But that, that nitpicking aside... Um, I mean, yeah. the imagery is pretty universalist kind of death imagery is being used here. I mean, I'm not saying this isn't a good poem about the plague. Uh, it is, but in a lot of ways, most of the imagery is something you could find in most poems about death itself. You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. that it'll be interesting to see as we go through some of the other ones where will be the way in which a plague poem differentiates itself from a poem about mortality generally? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Beyond naming the, the course. Like, wh what are the additional themes uh, and uh, kind of, like, allusions and metaphors that plague specifically invoke? Like, I know at least one of them, like, uh, interestingly... Uh, that wind or air is a very common element in, in plague imagery. Yeah. Because uh, it's not in this poem that I can see. Like, there's no discussion, because uh, it's interesting that they did kind of, like, a plague wind blows through. So this notion of that uh, diseases were airborne was something that was understood if not the mechanics of why that's the case were not yet understood. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So, because uh, wind and air being uh, agents of plague being spread is something that is a very old imagery uh, in my experience, uh, which is something I find fascinating that, again, that's prior to the scientific discovery of things like uh, of um, viruses and bacteria, germs in general, or germ theory, uh, you still had that people felt that you know, uh, it was carried in the air somehow, invisibly, um, was something that was understood. You know, like, um, is it Apollo, uh, the, the plague arrows? Like, that kind of notion of it could just come out of nowhere and it, again, traveled through the air mm -hmm. in a way. Um, which isn't to say that air is the only vector for disease, of course, uh, waterborne diseases probably actually kill more people. Like, I know dysentery is probably one of the biggest killers of people on Earth. Um, Even still, but definitely during Oregon Trail. Yeah. Um. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and dysentery is, I believe, primarily caused by bad water, right? Yeah. Yeah. Drinking... Um, and water supplies. water. So... so but, but, again, back to my point, not that this poem isn't good, it is, but I'm just saying that 
We don't have a. I mean, you pl- feel free to correct me, like from your reading. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that there was specifically plague imagery in this poem besides saying plague? Like, what do you feel kind of made this a plague poem? I guess is my question. Um, I don't think that there, other than you know, the plague full swift goes by. I don't think that there was much in here that was specific to the plague. Um. You know, he talks about, you know, the rich, the powerful, the beautiful, and the strong all dying, just like everybody else. Um, But again, that could be generic death death. imagery. Yeah, you know, like, death comes for us all is a pretty universal thing. And maybe that's going to be the challenge looking at some of these. Like, if I was giving my students an instruction, like, I want you to write a poem about a plague, it would be interesting to see how many were able to actually incorporate specifically plague imagery or would all of it kind of like right but this is a poem about death it's not about dying of a plague per se mm-hmm. um but it also could be that death being such a massive universal concept it's kind of unavoidable you know that a poem about dying from anything will sound like all poems about dying yeah and considering how common outbreaks of plague were back then mm-hmm. in particular it might not sound any different so there may yeah. be more plague poems that we don't identify that way. Yeah, because they're just, you know, or that a plague was the inspiration for a death poem, but it's a death poem. It's not a plague mm-hmm. poem. Right. I don't know. I, I'm sure that for a lot of people, it sounds like I'm really nitpicking this whole thing. Uh, and I admit that that's how it can seem. But, you know, that's the whole point of kind of trying to more zero in on an idea and how does that idea get explored. Right. Um, So anyway. So um, this one may be more plague-like, I guess. Um, This is about the same plague outbreak. Um, So this is stanzas uh, from The Triumph of Death by John Davies. And I apologize in advance if I read this weirdly because it's written in um, Shakespearean <laughs> time English with weird spellings. So, Foule. Uh, Bestures has two R's in it. Yeah. Okay. And foul does have, yeah, an E at the end. It's foule. It's the uh, French foul. Is it? Yes. I don't okay. know. Good to know. Good to know. London now smokes with vapors that arise. From his foul sweat himself he so bestirs. Cast out your dead, the carcass carrier cries, which he by heaps in groundless graves interrs. Now like to bees in summer's heat from hives, out fly the citizens, some here, some there, some all alone and others with their wives. With wives and children some fly, all for fear. Here stands a watch with guard of partisans, to stop their passages or to or fro, as if they were not men nor Christians, but fiends or monsters murdering as they go. Each village free now stands upon her guard. None must have harbor in them but their own. And as for life and death, all watch and ward and fly for life as death the man unknown. Here cry the parents for their children's death. There howl the children for their parents' loss. And often die as they are drawing breath to cry for their but now inflicted cross. 
the last survivor of a family which yesterday perhaps were all in health, now dies to bear his fellow's company, and for a grave for all gives all their wealth. The London lanes thereby themselves to save did vomit out their undigested dead, who by cartloads are carried to the grave, for all these lanes with folk were overfed. The king himself, O oh, wretched times the while, from place to place himself did fly, which from himself himself did seek to exile, who, as amazed, not safe, knew where to lie. For hardly could one man another meet, that in his bosom brought not odious death. It was confusion but a friend to greet, for, like a fiend, he banned with his breath. Sorry. Now fall the people unto public fast, and all assemble in the church to pray. Early and late their souls there take repast, as if preparing for a later day. The pastors now steep all their words in brine, with woe, 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 and naught is heard but woe. Woe and alas, they say, the powers divine are bent mankind for sin to overthrow. Repent, repent, like Jonas now they cry. Ye men of England, oh, repent, repent, to see if ye may move pity's eye to look upon new ere you quite be spent. And off while he breathes out these bitter words, he drawing breath draws in more bitter bane. For now the air, no air, but death affords, and lights of art for help were in the wane. The ceremony at their burials, in ashes but to ashes, dust to dust. Nay, not so much, for straight the pitman falls, if he can stand to hide them as he must. But if the pitman have not so much sense to see nor feel which way the wind doth sit, to take the same he hardly comes from thence, but for himself perhaps he makes the pit. For now, for look how leaves in autumn from the tree with wind do fall, whose heaps fill holes in the ground. So might you with the plague's breath people see, fall by great heaps and fill up holes profound. No holy turf was left to hide the head of holiest men, but most unhallowed grounds, ditches, and highways must receive the dead, the dead, ah, woe the while, so er so o'er abound. Time never knew since he begun his hours, for aught we read a plague so long remain in any city as this plague of ours, for now six years in London it hath lain. But thou, but thou in whose high hand all hearts are held, convert us and from us this plague avert. So sin shall yield to grace, and grace shall yield the giver glory for you so dear desert. In few what should I say, the best are not, that breath since man first breathing did rebel. The best that breathe are worse than may be thought. If thought can think, the best can do but, but well. For none doth well on earth but such as will confess with grief they do exceeding ill. So, yeah, see this, um, much more, a, much more, uh, specific kind of imagery. Yeah. Uh, the idea of people trying to escape from, uh, urban population centers is in there. Uh, and you have, uh, uh, the idea of families, uh, where member after member succumb, 
is kind of in there in quick succession. You have the whole imagery of the king uh, trying to be above the whole experience, but how futile that ends up being. Um, so yeah, this one definitely more on that kind of point. Uh, obviously, it is a lot longer. I, I Am I correct in assuming this is just one part of a ongoingly longer piece? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So uh, it's, um, it's good. It's good. Uh, definitely, um, like I said, uh, feels like more focused uh, on specifically plague imagery. Um, but also, it, and again, this isn't taken away from the previous poem, but I felt that the previous poem was more universal, and this one is more speaking to the actual experiences that were going on at the time, which doesn't make it non-universal because these are still what's going to happen in a lot of situations where things go this badly. Um, yeah, mass graves. Yeah. Uh, people watching their whole families die. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to be a a downer, but I know that's already happened in some cases with this. So yeah, um, I I think we um we kind of accepted the the uh, being a downer thing when we decided on today's topic, so it's fine. Yeah, and you know the whole name for our podcast to begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Uh, you know uh. uh you said that you had a, a title for today's episode as well. I, I do have an alternate title if you want one. Sure. Uh, Verily the Pox would, would also Verily work. Verily the Pox. Yes. Sure. And that can be the secret word, Pox. Pox. There pox. you go. A Pox on you. Yeah, there a you pox, go. A Pox upon you. Yeah. Um, that, that someone has not uh, been pushing the idea of Pox News is kind of... Uh, Missed opportunity there, but what are you going to do? Wow. Yeah. Maybe that can be a parody news channel. It would take a lot more work than we have time for, though. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, but this poem, I mean, there there is a rhyme scheme, but it's... It definitely gets strained at several points, but I, mm -hmm. I give this one a little bit more... I guess the thing is... Uh, the language here is more archaic, so yeah, I, it's easier for me to push through the uh, the rhyme issues because I'm like, well, clearly the pronunciations here are have. I mean, we're talking about uh, both these poems are over what about over 550? Uh, about four hundred uh, years old. Yeah, yeah, fifteen yeah. nineties ish. So. Uh, says 1609 so that's yeah about 400 years so yeah. um that's a while linguistically uh so you know i and and again back to the criticisms i had uh, for them when they were mostly in jest because as i said it's not something that actually prevents from understanding or enjoying the piece um i do think this one's a little bit stronger but also it's longer so uh, it does feel at points that the piece, I mean, but again, that was the style of the time is these really long meandering, uh, restating your case a dozen times type works, uh, that 
could have been a lot tighter and punchier, if you will. Like the other poem is much tighter than this one is. Yeah. Yes. Um, but again, you know, because this is taken from a longer work that was, you know, yep. this is select poetry from, was this the reign of King James the first? And then, you know, also from select poetry from the reign of Queen Elizabeth. So, and it's Queen Elizabeth because there wasn't a second one yet <laughs> when this was published. So, um, you know, hard to keep it super tight line-wise, writing-wise. Yeah. From a very long work, almost epic length work. Um, so I don't know if you have any other commentary about this one. Um no, I think that about covered it. Okay. Unless, did you have something you want to add, or? No. Um, so those are those are obviously English poets. Yeah. Um. So then there's one by an American poet, um, Philip Fresnel, and this is about a plague uh, of yellow fever that struck Philadelphia, which, you know, a lot more local, mm -hmm. um, in the late 1700s. And um, so 5,000 people died from that one in Philadelphia. So mm. um, kind of similar numbers to some places in the United States in the last month. So I can kind of imagine what this must have been like for um, these people. It's called Pestilence. Hot, dry winds forever blowing dead men to the graveyards going, constant hearses, funeral verses, oh, what plagues, there is no knowing. Priests retreating from their pulpits, some in hot and some in cold fits, in bad temper, off they scamper, leaving us unhappy culprits. Doctors raving and disputing, death pale, death's pale army still recruiting, what a pother, with one with the other, some are writing, some are shooting. Nature's poisons here collected, water, earth, and air infected. Oh, what a pity such a city was in such a place erected. So, mm. um, kind of talks about the plague being water, land, and air born. Yep. Well, the beginning, the, the opening line uh, does kind of talk to that uh, wind imagery they talked about that is something that's specific to plague, which is hot, dry winds forever blowing. Uh, you know, so that kind of ill wind mm -hmm. kind of imagery is in there. Right. Um, also, kind of the abandonment thing uh, is yeah. kind of a reoccurring plague image that we also see of, of a societal breakdown as being part of plague. Mm -hmm. um, of people abandoning responsibilities, uh, looking after themselves. Uh, and then the ending, uh, another bit about, uh, that you'll sometimes see in plague imagery and, you know, there's a lot of memes actually going on about it right now. Uh, it's the opening line of the last stanza, nature's poisons here collected. So the idea of disease as a kind of almost willful act of nature upon humanity uh, mm -hmm. to check uh, human hubris uh, is also kind of a disease. Like, of all of the natural disasters, uh, 
disease is the one that is most attached to the ideas of sin or sinfulness. Like, certainly you get that when something like an earthquake or whatnot occurs, uh, you get people are saying, oh, it, it's God's will. You know, he wanted to do something to people. But right. I think you do see that the most in disease. And definitely, you know, when we talk about things like the AIDS crisis and you had that um, uh, many people did view it as a punishment for uh, behavior um, that, uh, you know, because the people who were getting the disease were people that they morally uh, uh, had a moral hatred towards. Um, they felt that it was God killing people that they didn't like. So ergo was God's, that disease operates under this idea of like kind of divine uh, will. Um, mm -hmm. And again, that's something that you see in all natural disasters, but I would argue that disease probably gets it the most yeah. Um, the idea of that diseases are a leveler, because uh, you'll get both the imagery of diseases will get anybody or the diseases will punish sin. Those are both images that you will get with kind of plague imagery. So mm -hmm. uh, nature's poisons here collected is kind of more of a um, non-deified, instead more of uh, the will of nature kind of take on that idea of... Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, but I think that part of it also is that unlike all other disaster, uh, pardon me, all other natural disasters, disease only kills kills people but leaves their works intact. You know, so one of the other things you'll see with plague imagery is the idea of empty cities. Oh, what a pity such a city was in this place erected. Um this notion of like if there's a fire or an earthquake or a flood or something like that, those sorts of natural disasters, they not only kill, but they, they remove the human influence, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But plagues yeah. just kill us. So, uh, and again, that's kind of like the big thing in a lot of zombie imagery that the towns getting reclaimed by nature, but that that's a slow process as opposed to say like, an earthquake or a flood where everything just gets obliterated along with us with plague. It's just us. And, uh, there's a slower reclaiming in a sense. Right. If that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what struck me with this, you know, we were talking about the rhyme earlier being slightly off, um, temper and scamper. Um, but I think it works here mm. because, those are the the short lines um in the scheme if you look right. at it um and certainly calls to mind some of the things that are happening now um, yeah well again it it's difficult um here's the other thing about the truth of things um What's happening right now is terrible. Um, it's what's going to happen afterwards that's also going to be the next test because uh, the amount it the amount of uh, economic harm that's been inflicted uh, that a lot of people are not going to well recover from yeah. is something that we're, is a trauma that we're putting off for right now because we're trying to get through the trauma of being fearful of the disease, but what's going to come after it is going to be its own trauma that will have to be pushed through. 
Um, it's not something I like to dwell on, but the fact of the matter is we are most certainly going to be uh, heading into a period of recession, mm-hmm. if not full-on economic collapse depression is entirely still possible. Luckily, there's a lot of fail-safes to try and prevent that, but more and more it feels like those fail-safes are more to prevent large institutionalized uh, wealth from being obliterated, not uh, individual savings of people who are not wealthy from being obliterated because people are already seeing that's going to happen. You're seeing that not working for two months could mean homelessness for a vast swath of Americans. And that's terrifying. Um, But you're also seeing that maybe people are waking up a little bit more to the way things are. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but when you have breakdowns in your society that are kind of pasted over um, Mm. with everyday life, yeah, when something like this happens, when there's some kind of natural disaster, whether it's disease or, um, you know, some a storm or some other hardship, um, you see the cracks. And, you know, it's it becomes painfully obvious where the problems are. Sure. Uh, and, you know, here we have, you know, was it 20, was it 26 million people as of this week have become unemployed in the United States as a result yeah. of this out of 330 million people? And I don't know yeah. how many of those were working, but let's say half. Yep. Say a little more than half. So, like, let's say 175, 180 million people were working. So, um, you know. 26 million out of 180 or so million people now unemployed. Um, And, you know, those people, some of them facing homelessness, some of them facing loss of insurance, loss of medical care for diseases that they had before this disease became prevalent. So people who needed um, medical treatment for other things now can't get it because they don't have insurance. So, yeah, um, there are going to be long-lasting economic issues from this, apart from just the unemployment, yeah, systemic ones, because of how we're structured. Yep, and it, like I said, I mean, it could end up being a wake-up call for a lot of people to realize how precarious a lot of these assumptions about the way things work are, mm-hmm. um, but... I'm, it's hard for me to try not, it's hard to not be cynical. Yeah, because there have been a lot of things that should have been wake-up calls about a lot of different social issues over the last 25 or 30 years, and yeah. people have taken it to heart, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, the holy fucking shit issue. Yeah. Um, and still here we are. And still here we are. It is that it is. Um, <sighs> Did you want to do one more? Um, I think I'll do mine. Cause, okay. And then, because we've been almost an hour now. Um, yeah. So I wrote this yesterday. There's not a lot of rhyming in it, because it was not a place for me to be rhyming. It's called Locked in Place. 
locked in place, not by army nor police state, but by social conscience. Wear mask over mask, cloth over porcelain rictus, over grieving heart beneath. Pretend everything is fine. Smile into the camera at boss, at teacher, at fellow earthling on the other end. We are in this together, but not all of us, just those with a conscience. Others you see rally, not to protect life nor true liberty, but to protect the almighty dollar, a terrible truth they would rather you not know, that you really are alone. And yet, and yet, and yet, we stay locked in place, not by an army or police state, but by our social conscience, a contract with one another, a bond, a commitment of spirit to other broken hearts like ours. For you, I stay locked in place, though my heart yearns to be free. For you, I stay locked in place despite my financial collapse. For you, I stay locked in place to keep you all safe. Life most precious, protected by cloth and my four walls locking me in place. That's good. I like it. I think that's also going to be, I mean, the defining thing that's very different for us as our contemporary issue uh, with dealing with this is, you know, the internet is, I don't know, this is something I discussed with my students before, but it's the monkey's paw of modern technology. What I mean by that is I told my students that it is great that we have these devices that allow us to contact anyone we need whenever we need to. But the trade-off is that people can contact us whenever they need to. Right. And I told them, get ready, because even when you're not at work, you're going to be at work for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you had a job where your boss did not contact you on your phone when you were no longer at work? Um, not since I graduated from college. And have you ever been resentful of, fuck off, I'm not at work. Tell me tomorrow. Nothing you're telling me now could be so important that I should do it without getting paid. Because anytime I talk to you and I'm not on the clock, you're spending my time. And by free, I mean I'm not being paid for it. That's what free time means. It means I'm doing whatever I'm doing for fucking free. Don't call me. You, I so wish you could tell people that, but you can't. That's the society that we built. And the something to be said for... Oh, but people are able to still be productive and be at home. And okay, and that has allowed our society to shamble forward, but there's something to be said for I'm being made to stay at home in an emotionally fraught situation and still have to fucking work. Fuck yes. right off. Yes. And I don't know about you. I know you're teaching remotely, right? I, I'm not under the same kind of pressure as someone like you or my wife is under where she is still, when she was at home, she's not working from home now, but she was for several weeks, having to still clock in at nine, clock out at five, on the phone all day, dealing with people and their terrible fucking attitudes mm -hmm. the whole time, at the same time trying to be home. Mm 
and you're like, okay, but I'm still being paid. But there's this feeling of having to always be on, having people always able to demand things of you, and not having that barrier. And I think that's one of the things that this whole experience, and it'll be interesting to see the art that comes out of this and how much this incorporates a resentment. I will be interested to see people resenting having to video conference with people from home and having to let people into their home to see where they live. Be like, I can't have things that are mine anymore. I now have to bring my work into my home and let my work interact with my home. And people should be rightfully resentful of that intrusion. Mm -hmm. That it is a sacrifice that people are being asked to make. And nobody's being paid more for any of this shit. People are being paid less. Yes. Some people are having their hours cut and they're still having to work from home. Yeah. Um, I know in my situation and, you know, my bosses have been very reasonable with me because I am one of those people who's home with a small child and having to work and do sure. that at the same time and try to arrange for her remote schooling. Um, but not realizing that, uh, I guess, for a moment, one of them tried to video call me without setting it up in advance while I was dealing with my kid a couple of days ago. So I'm getting a video call on my phone on an app and I'm trying to help her with her schooling. And it wasn't something that was scheduled. And at that point, even though it was like 10 o'clock in the morning, because I had been dealing with her so much, I wasn't dressed. I hadn't eaten breakfast. I hadn't done anything. And I'd been up since six o'clock, four hours and not a normal day. And this mm. person wanted to video chat with me about something that could wait. Yeah. Well, again, that comes back to, as I said, the whole notion of... Invading people's homes. Invading people's work. home, invading people's free time. And I, I warned my students, I was like, get ready. Get ready for never having time that really is truly your own. I mean, how many times, not even when you're at home or it's after hours, how many times have you been on vacation and your oh, employers shit. know that you're on vacation? You're, you've scheduled it. And they still are like, I need to call you to deal with something or to warn you that you'll be dealing with something when you get back. Yeah. And that you can't just say to them, are you out of your fucking mind? What did I tell you I was? I'm on fucking vacation. Exactly. I don't work for you this week. Fuck off. And that is exactly the problem. I mean, in my industry in particular, um, and I remember... You and I and two other people were headed out to Gen Con. This was right. in 2010. Sure. We were driving Jesus. out. By the way, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Ten years ago. We were driving out. I told these folks I was driving out. It was the only vacation I took all year. It was yeah. four days, I think, that I took off from work. And I was a junior associate at a large law firm. I'm not going to tell you which one. And... We drove out, and I got to the hotel, and I had done a lot of the driving, so I didn't have my BlackBerry with me. I think it, it was, was just, drunk. was it just you and me doing the driving, or? I think one other person was doing driving. So we get to the hotel, and I pull out my BlackBerry from the trunk, and there were, like, 15 emails about something that I had written two weeks earlier that the paralegal could have handled that the senior associate decided to email me about while I was driving, like I was going to look at it. Knowing that I was driving from New Jersey to Indianapolis. Yeah. 
And that and is a, the standard in everybody's industry anymore is you're attached to your cell phone 24 seven and you're expected to be that way. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, That's, nope. It's unacceptable. It's really unacceptable. Um, yep. And it's made worse by situations like this because there is no boundary. Yeah. Now my home is in my office and I know for you, same thing. Your, your office is now in your home. So if you're teaching, you know, I can, I know we're video chatting, so I can see what your front room looks like and I've been there. So I know what it looks like, but have your students seen that or are you using? Yeah, no, I don't put a backdrop. I mean, it's not too, it's not too revealing. Like I know that some people, when they do their video setup, they purposely have like, Hey, check out all my cool collectibles and crap like that in the background. Mm -hmm. Like, but I just have, Hey, it's the door to enter my house, you know? And like the keys, um, it, it's not giving away any sensitive information, so I don't feel bad about that. Um, but that doesn't matter. Like that, I'm. It, it's not a matter of that I am comfortable. It's that I'm expected to be comfortable. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's the expectation uh, of uh, it's the presumption of that you have the right to it. Mm-hmm. You know. Rather than I will give you the right to to my time, I will give you the right to my attention. You know, it's um, wild digression, but I think that's very interesting. Uh, I think it's maybe Banksy or some similar street artist who was talking about why they felt no guilt about uh, fucking up um, advertisements uh, like billboards and shit. And they said mm-hmm. those people have stolen from you. They've stolen your gaze. They've made it so that you have no choice but to interact with with advertisements uh, in your everyday life. They've stolen your attention. You didn't give it to them. They stole it from you. Fuck them. And I'm like, you know what? There's something to be said for that. Something to be said for that, you know, a billboard steals from, from me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's like a pop-up ad in real life it's stealing my time mm-hmm. you know i didn't say hey i'm interested in a sandwich let me find out more about them it's like hey would you like a sandwich be like fuck off <laughs> yeah um, or those those electronic ones now that they change every 30 yeah, seconds and again whatever. i'm programmed to be okay with it and that's why i really felt like a yeah that's a good point moment when i read that discussion about it because like yeah, I've been totally programmed to be perfectly comfortable with that ads are fucking everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's the reverse of this, where you just need to be comfortable that I'm going to be all up in your shit. And it's the same thing with modern work. You have, just have to be comfortable with, you're going to give us a way to contact you whenever we fucking feel like, like, motherfucker, I'm not the president. You don't you don't need to re- reach me when I'm not there. Like, what emergencies do most jobs actually have? Yeah, I mean, they don't. If you, like, the stuff that I have done, and I'm an attorney, right? So, of the work that I have done, I think I have been in two jobs where it would have been necessary for me to be contacted outside the office at a weird hour. And the first one was I worked for the federal judiciary as a law clerk. So... Yeah, there were times when, to give me a heads up, not to make me read the papers, but, 
hey, heads up, this thing was just filed. When you come in tomorrow, there's going to be a stack of crap on your desk, just letting you know. That's one. And the other was when I was a partner at a firm and it was, we didn't have administrative staff. So if something went sideways, people needed to be able to reach me. That's it. Any other place I've worked, that shit can wait till 9 a.m. the following day. Like there is, there is nothing. The courts are closed. <laughs> like, I don't bail you out of jail. There is no reason for you to be contacting me in the middle of the night or while I'm on vacation about some bullshit that I can't deal with anyway. Sure, sure. And like I said, it's the presumption. It's it the and that's the kind of, you know, and again, I guess it's like a kind of a first world problems kind of thing, but there's something to be said for that it's a universal thing about just the demand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that the art that may come out of this whole event is going to be different from other ones. I don't know if we're going to see wind imagery this time around, but I think we're going to see a lot of Skype imagery. I guess that's what I would leave this whole point at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of where I was going with the video chat thing. Yeah. But... Yeah. Well, I definitely felt that in yours, that it felt very modern. Yeah. And it felt very much about this particular, okay, we're all separated, but not too separated because we have to be able to deal with you whenever we need to. Yeah. But the trade-off is you're doing that because you and me are able to have this conversation right now. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and that's thanks to this magical idiot box that we're in front of. Yes. Although, you know, if you didn't have a webcam, webcam and I didn't have a webcam, we could still do this over the telephone. Because right. that, that's the thing. Well, but, but that's and still the it same. Matter, yeah. yeah. It wouldn't matter what, you know, I was wearing, I could be wearing, you know, just pajamas or, you know, my hair could be a mess or it wouldn't matter that you were in your front room or you could be sitting in your underpants in your bedroom. It wouldn't matter because it would be a telephone. You don't know what's below here, so it could be nothing but (laughs) underpants. You're only seeing T-shirt up. I mean, for all you know, this is cut off right here and there's just a belly tee. You don't know. It could be just free balling it right here on uh, on my chair. You don't know. You don't know. I'm not. Images. But I'm but I'm not going to provide any video proof of that either. So let your imagination run wild. Yeah. So, but that's that's the other part of it is I know for some people and for me in particular, usually I hate being on video because I feel like I have to be on the whole time. Sure. And it's like an in-person interaction and different dynamic. But, um, so anyway, um. I don't know that I have a whole lot else here. Um, you know, I hope the, the last episode that I did that I did by myself was um, kind of on like hope and hoping everybody was okay. Um, and that even when shit feels dark, you could still have hope. And this is kind of like the second stage of grief um, mm. <laughs> where we've moved past the kind of the denial, fluffy bunny shit into, oh my God, what the fuck area. Um I mean, the best advice that I can give is uh, be hopeful because um, it, it's kind of uh, what we've got to work with right now. I, all right, so uh, let's see how do I explain this. Um, uh, a, a lesson, th- this will be my last thing I want to say on the subject, so uh, okay. I'll wrap it here. Um, 
I I know a time that I made my mom cry. Uh, it was I was my parents got divorced when I was very young, and um, I was maybe six, and my mom was checking up on me to see how I was doing. You know, I was playing like with toys probably in the living room. I don't remember these events. Um, I've been told them later, mm-hmm. and uh, I just kind of turned to my mom at six years old and said, "Well, mom." I try to make the best of things and it broke her heart, you know, and, but sometimes it's all you got. So I'm trying to just focus on not being happy. I don't think that there's a time where you're going to be that happy about anything. I'm trying to not be too upset, not be too sad and to be angry in the right way. And that's the best I can do right now. I got a lot of angry. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Because there's a lot of unreasonable behavior and people needing to get their heads out of their asses about things. Like I said, it's a recurring theme. Um, But uh, until they do, (coughs) I'm going to be talking about it. Yep. That needs to happen. People need to... Um, wake up to the fact that we're trying to protect other people and you know lesson learned this week was not you can replace money you can replace items um, you can get a new job but if you're dead you're dead yeah but uh, you just remember I High doses of UV and just injecting some bleach will clear that all right up. So that's the important thing. <laughs> yep. Drinking the Lysol. Just, just mainlining some Clorox and you'll be okay. Exactly. So. On that happy note. Yes. We have discussed plague poetry and verily the pox. And verily the pox. Holy fucking shit. Um... So it was good to discuss these things, and hopefully we will do more soon. Yes. Um, on a slightly happier topic that's not plague-related. Sure. I felt the need <laughs> to do this episode because, oh, hey, my God. Catharsis is a thing. It is. So I am JD Confidential. And I'm Professor Murder. And thank you for enjoying this episode of the Black Roses and Poetry podcast. Ta-ra.